Greetings, I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. Welcome. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now, if we choose to. I imagine that you've seen coverage of the murderous attack at Freeman High School in Freeman, Washington. In various different accounts, it will say Rockford, Washington. Freeman is just up the road from Rockford. And if you blink as you drive through, you will miss it. I was there today in both Rockford and Freeman. And Rockford is a quaint little town with a booming population of 500 or so. And Freeman is where the schools are and it's known for being an outstanding school district, and they have won honors to that effect. The murderous attack that took place just last week came out of the blue, and you might think, well, it's, a, it's all the more jarring because it's so early in the school year. I know other attacks have typically taken place at the end of the school year, well, this is, you know, just barely into the school year. And there were various different troubling details that have come out about this. But what troubles me most is the reporting regarding it. How the reporting twists the facts to fit the storyline that the various different media elites or less than elites choose to sway a story this way or that. For instance, the initial reports that came out, there were interviews of students that were in immediate proximity to the attack, to the attacker. And one young fellow, a freshman there, I believe, there were a couple that were quoted. One was a freshman, one was a sophomore. But this one that was quoted, he said regarding the shooter who has been referred to as being a gunman. Well, a 15-year-old is not my idea of a gunman. It's a way to glamorize him, frankly, which is exactly what he wants. But the suspected murderer, the actual factual murderer, Caleb Sharp, was described as being a nice guy and had lots of friends and was kind of a goofy guy, but was absolutely, positively, definitely not bullied. I found it fascinating, not shocking, not even surprising but troubling that a day or two later I was re reading reports that it was suspected that the murderer had been bullied. Again, the narrative had to fit the storyline that they wanted to put out there. They wanted to manipulate this to their greatest advantage to again push the story that Firearms are evil. 
all people must be prevented from having access to firearms, let alone any training with firearms. And of course, the storyline from our leaders, our shakers, our movers like Nancy Pelosi that all military veterans are mentally ill and must be forbidden access to firearms. Well, here in the state of Washington, in the Evergreen State, state named after the first president of the United States of America, it is illegal to purchase a BB gun or a pellet gun if you are less than 18 years of age. And that is designed to protect us, <laughs> protect us from, from violence. It, what it's really designed to do is to prevent young people having any familiarity with firearms, having any training with them, knowing how to use them. With regard to the malevolence of firearms, firearms are no more dangerous than the person that has it in their hands. And this idea that we are all safer if the citizenry cannot defend itself, cannot use a force multiplier, does not have access to any weapons that the military have, that law enforcement has, is remarkable and diametrically contrary, not just to the Constitution and the will of the founders of this nation, who were wiser than the leaders that we have had for eons now, but is contrary to reason. I remember a case of a nine-year-old girl, nine-year-old girl, and she had won some competitions in shotgun shooting, of all things, a nine-year-old girl. She was home alone, which I think the parents were remiss in leaving her home alone, but she was home alone, and two evil men tried to break into her house and attack her. The problem for them is she knew how to use a firearm. She was expert in using it at the ripe old age of nine years of age. And she killed one of them and wounded the other. The predators who are amongst us. And don't imagine that there's any place that is free from predators, human predators. That's a utopia, a Shangri-La, that is devoid of destroyers, that are hell-bent on destroying. And the ones that they target, typically target for destruction, are the good, the gentle, the quiet, the peaceful, the kind, the loving, the tender, the trusting, those who are looking for the good in everybody. Once upon a time, there was a mass murderer here, a serial murderer in the United States of America, and I remember one of his victims, and I've referred to this before, who was working graveyard shift at a gas station in Utah and who was a law student. This fellow murdered him at point-blank range, and he later said of the fellow that he murdered that he hated his smiling face. 
this goes contrary to our reason. How many times have you heard an account of a crime and various people will opine that, well, that couldn't have happened because it doesn't make any sense. It, it's, it doesn't make any reason for us. You know, there has to be a motive. There has to be opportunity. There has to be a weapon. But there has to be a motive, and the standard motives are hatred, greed, jealousy, what have you. But it runs contrary to reason to imagine that there are people that hate without there being a basis for hatred. But there are such people, and they're not just the Islamist terrorists. There are many others, the Ted Bundys of the world, who receive gratification by destroying. And while they typically target those smaller than themselves, younger or older significantly, and all too frequently, girls, young women, young mothers, that's not to say that they won't take on grown men. Especially if they have backup. I'm not talking about police backup now. I'm talking about a gang. And if they're armed, and he's not. But we have to get this out of our systems, if you will, this idea that people only commit crimes for gain or because of jealousy or because of some hatred based on reason for hatred. It just is all too frequently not the case. Well, here, as I drove down to Rockford and then back uh, through Freeman, I saw testimony to this Freeman Strong exclamation point. And I don't know exactly what that is meant to convey. I've seen it on the news. What I take it to mean is that we are stronger than this. We can get through this. Uh, we are stronger than some would view it as e than evil. But for me, that is coming back to the man is the measure of all things. The matter of that we are uh, autonomous, that we are the end-all and be-all. And if there's one thing that this tragedy should point to, it's a cautionary tale, not just with regard to there can be violent, terrible, maniacal incidents, or in this case, a murderous attack intended to be mass murder by a 15-year-old boy who was envious of destroyers and wanted to be like them, who admired that, and who had, in fact, given forewarning, which had been apparently ignored, but how was it to be dealt with? But he had given forewarning that he was going to do something, as he described it, stupid, 
and that would result in his going to jail, being imprisoned, or being killed. And it's so often the case with vicious, murderous attacks, the murderer is not killed. The murderer is taken captive, and then, then we start this marathon process through our corrupted, perverted, subverted judicial system. But Sam Strahan was murdered at point-blank range. When the shooting started and the murderer had one gun jam, and I, from reading what I have read, it was unclear to me whether it was the handgun or whether it was the rifle, the jam. But the initial gun being used jammed. I'm guessing it was a rifle. But then he used the handgun. Sam Strahan approached him and tried talking with him. Bad move. Great character on the part of Sam Strahan, but bad move. The only thing to do in this situation was to charge him, tackle him, disarm him, and or flee from him. But going up to him to talk to him, to reason with him, was not the thing to do, and the murderer shot him in the head at point-blank range. Rockford, Washington, was described prior to this by its town hall, chamber of commerce, whatever it is, I've read it on their website, as being a quiet, peaceful town. A quiet, peaceful town. The Freeman School District described as being an outstanding school district. And instead of having these behemoth schools that look like institutions, or in some case prisons, we're talking about small-town America. This is the most unlikely possible venue for this to have occurred. And yet, it did occur. And again, back to the cautionary tale, not with regard to avoiding future such attacks, but with regard to what should be a reasonable response to this on the part of the students of the school, the student body of Freeman High School, and the citizenry in the area surrounding, and all of those who have read about this. It should be yet another example that, separate from any other considerations, that our lives can end in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, whether it's a shot of a firearm or whether it happens to be a car crashing through a house off of a road, whether it happens to be a terrorist running their vehicle into as many people as they can on a busy sidewalk in New York City on 42nd Street, or whether it happens to be some weapon of mass destruction, or a hurricane, or a tornado, or a forest fire, or a brush fire, or a gas furnace leak. There are myriad ways that devastating 
injuries and death can visit us. And for us to be in a state of denial of that and to go on with our lives as if there's no possibility of that and without ever a thought about our future, about our eternity, is just blind and leaves us in much greater jeopardy than merely of being killed. Now, I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done, in case you missed the introduction. I normally am not in the studio of KSBN in downtown Spokane, but today I am fortunate enough to be here. Language is used, used as a tool to deceive, to mislead, and to destroy. Yes, it can be used for good, as Winston Churchill (laughs) demonstrated vividly, and as the words of the Bible show forth. But it also can be used as a tool to blind to subvert, to destroy. That's what propaganda is. And when you hear the word propaganda, I don't know what picture comes to mind. For me, I think of Joseph Goebbels, who was the chief propagandist for Adolf Hitler, but Adolf Hitler was actually the chief propagandist of the Nazi movement, and then he delegated that to Joseph Goebbels. Propaganda was used throughout the reign of the Soviet Union, was used throughout the longevity of the Red Chinese regime, and is still used by the Red Chinese regime because it continues to this day contrary to all of those who imagine that it is just a capitalist nation and it's the intentions of its leaders are peace and prosperity and peaceful coexistence, none of which are true. But it is used, of course, by Kim Jong-un and his predecessors. It was used by Castro. It's been used by destroyers down through the ages. And in fact... Adolf Hitler actually copied Benito Mussolini. And Benito Mussolini actually copied a gentleman whose name is eluding me who predated him and who was not uh, of the same ilk as Benito. But uh, Hitler actually copied a number of things from Mussolini, of all things. Uh, Ironic because Mussolini was nowhere near the powerful, mighty leader that Hitler was with his Nazi regime. But propaganda has been used in this nation now for decade upon decade upon decade upon decade. It was a tool of Margaret Sanger, the mother of planned barrenhood parenthood. That was me banging a desk here with my boot. But... She used people to spread her message. And she used, she employed black ministers 
in order to sell her vision, her vision, this brave new world, to the black church. And she knew there were no individuals in the black community that were more persuasive, more respected, more influential than the black ministers. Now, this is going back some many, many years ago now. No, back before hip-hop, back before ghetto rap. And even back before there was the plague of the gangs in the inner city. But she manipulated and used the black ministers. It's not to say that she was above using white ministers, but one people group that she was focused on manipulating and exploiting was the blacks in the major cities across this nation. And instead of using mass advertising, which she also employed, she used the word of mouth. She used men of the cloth. Clever of her, devilishly clever. And she, while she is never included in the ranks of the greatest mass murderers, in point of fact, she is really being paid a great disservice not to be up very near the top of the list of the greatest mass murderers that have ever existed. But she was satisfied with what she accomplished during her lifetime. Let me just read a quote here for you. But before I do that, let me go back in time a little bit, quite a bit, (laughs) way too far. Maybe, I'm not sure how far back this was, like 1998. So back a ways, okay? 20 years, basically. Is I had moved to an area. Uh, It was actually Virginia Beach, Virginia. I moved on uh, a... a moment's notice, basically, even though it was an exhausting, grueling move, I made up my mind to move and moved very quickly. And it was in order to be able to get there in time for the beginning of the school year of graduate school and to get into their law school. Now, I was too late for applying to their law school. I had taken an LSAT, law school aptitude test, long before that, but it was actually too long in the tooth, and they wouldn't accept that, so I needed a new one, and it was too late. But anyway, so I started in communications instead, and I found out that the Master of Arts in Communications was, in, was, it was all academic. <laughs> and I thought, gee, well, you know, it would be nice if I could afford to do that, but I opted not to. Um, and the reason was because I had crushing debts uh, from my loving, life-sparing public service campaign, which was designed, intended, dedicated to widely communicate the truth of the abortion breast cancer link, i.e., that is, that induced abortion was directly linked to greatly increased incidence of breast cancer and more virulent strains of breast cancer and earlier onset breast cancer. 
facts which have been denied by the major media, by, of course, all of the abortion activists, and by other groups supposedly dedicated to ending breast cancer, ones like the Susan G. Komen Foundation, which has, of course, raked in mega, mega, mega millions over the years. But anyway, <laughs> I was struggling with debt from this, and so I went to, uh, it was either uh, Christian Coalition, I don't think it was Christian Coalition, but it was either Christian Coalition or it was another group that Pat Robertson had there. Now, I did not go to Regent University to learn at the footstool of Pat Robertson. Okay, I didn't appreciate so much about Pat Robertson's theology, if you will. I was not a follower of Pat Robertson, nor of Ralph Reed. But I was there and I needed employment, and I thought, you know, there are some things that Christian Coalition or whatever the other group was were doing that were in line with what I could get behind. So... I went and I filled out an application. But I was shocked to my core. This is back in 1998, mind you, or 1999. I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to say 1999, fall of 1999. I was shocked, and I'm still shocked, at what I found on the application because I had applied for other jobs. I actually left a job to go down there, and I had never encountered in a job application what I encountered on their application. Now, I don't know what you think of Pat Robertson, if, if the name even rings a bell, or uh, Christian Coalition, or it uh, was uh, Christian Broadcasting Network, and what have you. But on the application, I'm, I'm not quoting now. I don't have it written down here. It was on a <laughs> long ago, far away. But it was stating that they were an equal opportunity employer and they would not discriminate in employment on the basis of race, color, age, sex, religion. They went beyond that. And they included, and this is back in 1999, they included sexual orientation or however they described it. Now, maybe that's not surprising to you, but it absolutely, utterly astonished me. And so, being the extremely diplomatic person that I am, on my application, I shot myself in both feet, and I wrote on the application my extreme... I'll say disagreement, my extreme discontent with their message. The thing is, this was not according to what they were required to do by law. They were voluntarily moving the ball down the field, if you will, in favor of the sodomite activists. And this was an organization that supposedly opposed that. Anyway, I, so now, let's come forward a few years, 18 years. And 
I have read this on, not on an application, but on website, job board for major media companies. And it says the following, quote, the company is an equal opportunity employer and will not tolerate discrimination in employment on the basis of race, color, age, sex, sexual orientation, gender identity, or expression. So gender identity or gender expression, religion, disability, ethnicity, national origin, marital status, protected veteran status, genetic information, or any other legally protected classification or status. Outstanding. So, they've gone beyond Pat Robertson of 1999 in holding out the the olive branch for sodomites and saying, okay, not only won't we discriminate, we won't tolerate discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation nor gender identity nor gender expression nor genetic information. Well, how much further do we have to go? Of course, my answer to that is this is that sometime in the not-so-near future, and I mean it plays out today, I've encountered it for decades (laughs) without it being written, without it being ensconced in some application or on some website, that we will only discriminate against Christians. We will only discriminate against fundamental Christians. We will only discriminate against Bible-believing Christians who actually believe that they need to express their faith or witness to the truth of Jesus Christ. So, uh, And, of course, angry old white men and angry to-be-old white men and angry white men of whatever classification. Uh, Angry being not those who commit atrocities, but those who are angry at the degradation that has become of society in the United States of America. But anyway, that probably doesn't shock you as far as what that company was saying, and I forgot it I forgot to put the quote at the end, end quote. Um, But (laughs) that's how far we've come. Sexual orientation, gender identity, gender expression, genetic information, whatever all those things mean. Which then brings us back, and this is all, you know, the legal definitions that are dreamed up by the bureaucrats at Health and Human Services, Housing and Urban Development, and so on and so forth. But, and of course, of course, the Justice Department. But then there's the matter of, well, that depends on what the definition of is is. Okay? If dear old former president of the United States of America for two terms, William Jefferson Clinton, who was a lawyer and a law professor, if he can get away with 
and not joking, absolutely dead serious, stating that it depends on what the definition of is is, well, what about what the definitions of these things are? What about the definitions of justice and judgment and righteousness and godliness and honor and faithfulness, fidelity? Well, this idea that is being forced upon children and young people across the United States of America that sex is malleable, that it's in the hands of the doctors and scientists and who knows what all else, and that we are not created male and female, as God's Word attests, and that marriage is not a man leaving his father and mother and cleaving unto his wife, wherefore they were twain, now they are one, what therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. Instead, that we have this morass, we have this abyss of squalor, this swamp, as our current president would refer to it as a swamp of primordial ooze and that we were all, I don't know, somehow uh, that we came forth from remarkably. And now we're going back to the ooze. We are devoluting, if you will. We are degenerating. We have come so far forward that now we are actually going off the edge and going backwards. We are going back to our beginnings as non-human. How many times have you heard the term fetus to describe a baby, to describe a preborn baby? Describe a preborn baby by the term obligate parasite, courtesy of Margaret Sanger and her friends, An obligate parasite, this idea that a woman, a young woman, a woman, a mother, was somehow infected with a baby. And that her body is being attacked by some alien creature. It's beyond bizarre. It's something that you think, well, if it was in a movie, nobody's going to believe it because it's too far out there. Well, it should be too far out there. It used to be that a child, a little child, could recognize the simple truth that a pregnant woman was carrying a baby. Not because she had been carefully schooled, a girl was carefully schooled, or a boy carefully taught that this was a baby, but they just recognized it. And now, here for this great breakthrough in humanity, not only do we blind the children concerning obvious facts 
of nature like that. But we blind them concerning even more basic, irrefutable facts that we are born male or female. It's an amazing, amazing development in this nation and in all of the Western world. In fact, as bad as things are here in the United States of America, all you have to do is look north to Canada and you'll see where we will be a year from now, two years from now, <laughs> because they are leading the way, as is England, as is Europe, which is why I found it so startling and astonishing and shocking as far as the multitudes of people rising up against the sodomite activism in France and elsewhere in Europe. You know, Germany is about as leftist a nation as you can get. Believe it or not, about as far left as you can go. Which should not be shocking at all because if we go back in time, the Nazi party was the National Socialist Party. Oh, I know, they're supposedly right-wing. No, socialist. But fascism is socialist, as is communism. But in Germany, in this extremely leftist nation. Girls cannot be given boys' names. Boys cannot be given girls' names. They put us to shame here in the United States of America. Uh, extraordinary. Uh, meanwhile, of course, they have all kinds of legalized prostitution, and they have forever and a day, as does Switzerland and elsewhere throughout Europe, and they have done all kinds of things to promote that, to promote legalized prostitution. And we're only a stone's throw away from that here in the United States of America. As I was driving here I, and around today, I couldn't help noticing large billboard-type signs for cannabis. Yes, we're not going to call pot pot. You know, we need to elevate it. We need to give it some credence, some gravitas. So instead of it being pot, instead of it being dope, instead of it being even Mary Jane or marijuana, no, it's cannabis. It's a brave new world, as that we're going to legalize that, but only if you're 21 years of age or older, so that it doesn't fall into the wrong hands. Well, you know, for years and years, decades and decades, the worst pornography that's out there, the most vicious, ruthless, torturous, sadistic, murderous pornography, even before it was on the web, it was routinely falling into the hands of minors. And I've seen statistics regarding that that I can't recall right off the bat as far as to be precise, but it was estimated that, oh, I don't know, 80% of it found its way into the hands of minors. <laughs> but, but cannabis won't. No, no, no. Legalize it for adults, responsible adults. If they were responsible adults, they wouldn't be using it. Just uh, a, a window into my human experience. Okay, six years ago, well, actually, it's closer to seven, I was diagnosed with stage four blood cancer. Okay. And I 
uh, was given various treatments, and uh, but none of the painkillers worked for me. Okay. And so I was prescribed opioids. And I refused to take those because <laughs> I'm just opposed to taking those kinds of drugs. Opioids. Like opium. Well, I could have. I could have for the past six and three quarters of a year, I could have been taking medical marijuana if I cared to. But it is diametrically contrary to me. I'd rather suffer along with pain, intractable pain, than take this kind of junk. And yet, amazingly enough, we have teenagers, tweeners even, that do everything they can to get their hands on something to get a high or to get into an altered mental state because life isn't exciting enough. They would rather risk their health, their life, destroy their lives with these agents than enjoy what they've been blessed with. But now we have responsible adults who are going to lead the way. Once you've legalized it for adults, how, how do you imagine you're going to keep it out of the hands of the younger people, really? I mean, these older ones were handing it over to the younger ones back when it was illegal for the older ones to have it. And now that it's free and clear for everybody to get a hold of it, to make use of it, how on earth do you imagine that that is going to be beneficial in efforts to keep it out of the hands and therefore out of the mouths of the young people? who are still growing, who are still developing, and whose DNA will be changed by it. Well, that's a rash thing to say. Well, if it changes the DNA of fully grown adults, rest assured it will alter the DNA of developing young people. And it's not going to make them brighter. It's not going to make them wiser. It's not going to make them more law-abiding. But at the same time, it might be helpful for controlling them in other ways. Not to keep righteous laws, but just keep them spaced out. And we have all manner of wonderful leaders who desire such things. I want to come back to something else, and it's not... It's not <laughs> It's not a topic I would normally go into on this program. But as I've mentioned before, it drives me up the wall when I hear very popular, long-established, conservative, political conservative talk show hosts routinely act as mouthpieces for the extreme left inadvertently, unwittingly, stupidly, carelessly, recklessly, and repeatedly. So back 
to the subject of marital rape. I've never, because of the length of the programs and the various things I'm trying to touch on, I've never done a decent job on, on this. So uh, bear with me for a few minutes with regard to this. You might think that it's necessary to have laws against so-called marital rape because what if there is some fellow who is a beast of a fellow who is married to some dear thing and who is brutish towards her and forces himself upon her? Then we have to have these laws, right? Wrong. No. There were brutes back in the days 2,000 years ago and 3,000 years ago and there was no such law. There's no such law in the Bible. Was it just because God is a chauvinist male pig? Hmm? As the extreme leftist lesbians and so on and so forth would have you believe. No, that wasn't it. If a man is brutal, brutal pardon me, to his wife, we have laws against domestic violence. We have laws against assault and battery. We have laws against attempted murder. We have all manner of laws, none of which are adequately enforced any more than all the other laws that we have. And some of the laws are better than others, and some are a lot worse. But this idea of bringing in this law, creating this law, marital rape, it denies the legal fact, the biblical fact that when you marry a person, that absolutely at the core of the marriage covenant is sexual consent. There is not any legal sexual consent for adults with children, even though they're allowed to get away with raping children. There's no legal consent inherent in that. There's no legal consent inherent in men and women committing sexual immorality and adultery or even in prostitution. But in marriage, there is. It's not consent that needs to be reestablished on an hour-by-hour basis or a day-by-day basis any more than marriage needs to be renewed, renewing our vows, which all these things that have become such fads and are so idiotic, but which perhaps some people need as a reminder of what they entered into any number of years before and which perhaps they entered into ignorantly and rashly. But the consent once given is a standing consent. It is in the DNA of marriage. And absent that, there isn't marriage. Marital rape is a fiction, a legal fiction, courtesy of the Bill Clintons and Hillary Rodham Clintons of the world. It doesn't protect or safeguard any wife from violence. What it does do is it permits the, I was going to say emasculation, emasculation via other means of husbands. 
and it threatens the marriage bond. And while we've got all this nonsense going on, Sean, as far as this assault on marriage, we meanwhile keep granting greater and greater legalization of seduction and rape of children and by sodomites. It's, it is just a sign of the times, of these blind, ignorant, insane times in which we live. And it will only further serve to confuse children and young people. But those who know best, they insist insist on assaulting us with these things on an ongoing basis. The United States of America... Once upon a time, we led the way in godliness and righteousness. And there are many points throughout our history that we can look back at with pride. But pride is too often not a godly substance, a godly emotion. We get full of pride and it militates against humility. And certainly there are many moments throughout our history that are not worthy of admiration. The greatest generation, so-called, is dying out to an ever-increasing degree. They are going, going, and before long they will be gone. But they are the greatest generation, according to some. There were good and wonderful, honorable, valiant great people in that generation there still are. But there were also vile, horrible people in that generation here in this United States of America. As far as I'm concerned, the greatest generation that we've had was the Pilgrims and the Puritans. As much as they have been vilified down through these ages, they were extraordinarily courageous, brave, and self-sacrificing. And they founded what came to be this nation. And they exemplified what this nation should be, was intended to be by God. I know there are myriad people that don't believe that God exists and don't believe God had any intentions for this nation. But absent God's plans, this nation never would have come into existence. And the pity is 
that despite all of the sacrifice of all of the people, not just the pilgrims and the Puritans, but those homesteaders, those people who traveled at great jeopardy to their lives, themselves, their families and loved ones across this nation, despite all of the sacrifices in the wars, this nation keeps losing more and more and more of what made this nation this nation, of what made this nation great. It was great before it became a political entity known as a nation. And how much further do we have to go? I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now if we choose to. Thank you.